0: So I think we would be remiss if we didn't at least bring up what happened Sunday morning uh, in Orlando, which was the worst shooting massacre in in United States history. Um, We're all aware about it. uh, 49 or 50 uh, people were shot and killed at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. I believe over 50, maybe 53 people were injured. Additionally, uh, I remember waking up in the morning and Olga telling me the news and just being devastated because of one, just the the sheer amount of massacre and, and the the lives that were lost and affected by this, but two because it affected the the LGBT community and for people who are in that community or minorities in general, it, it just. Hurts me to know that, you know, you can't live your life without being just judged or harmed. And as a white male, I feel like I have it easier than anybody, and I, I'm fully aware. Oh. Of, I, no, I'm <laughs> fully aware of that. So it's hard for me to put myself into your shoes, but Olga and I attended the the candlelight vigil. Uh, in downtown Portland on Sunday night and just to see the sadness and, and the pain in all of these people's eyes like it really touched me to know that they really do live an everyday struggle and people out there are are looking to hurt them and it's it's not right and you know love is always going to win and I just hope that one day like this this will just stop like guns won't be so goddamn easy to get people will, won't have so much hate in their hearts that they feel like this is what they have to do. Um, I, I'm just out of lost words I just I can't believe it continues to happen still. Let's go.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Steiner Sports. Steiner Sports is a leading producer of authentic hand-side collectibles and the best source for all your sporting gift needs. Uh, If you use the code BACKBOARD at checkout, you get 20% off of your order. That's 20% off. I actually used this to buy an Archie Manning autographed football. So it works. They are really helpful at checkout. It's a fantastic company. I can't wait to buy more products from them. So use the code BACKBOARD at checkout and get 20% off at checkout.
0: Not only are you saving, but you're contributing a little bit to your favorite podcast out there. You know you want that. Damian Lillard signed basketball. Maybe it's that Rashid Wallace piece of memorabilia to go into your man cave. Whatever it is, uh, now is the time to get it. Gear up for the season. I know we just finished, you know, the the 2016 campaign, but fall's right around the corner. And if you're anything like me, you always got to get something new for the season or something new uh, every month because uh, Blazer Maniacs, we love to buy gear, and it's I, I my my apartment is just decorated with, with Blazer stuff. And if you have the chance to pick up something that nobody else has go ahead go to steinersports.com at checkout type in backboard 20 percent off your order sage it doesn't get any better than that
1: absolutely not and they got a lot of really cool stuff i saw some damian lillard some rasheed bill walton they got a lot of cool stuff and if i was more into baseball i'd definitely get some old school socks stuff but i'm not
0: Alright, everybody, welcome to the forty second edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin from Rip City, and I got my man
1: Sage chillin' in Southern Oregon. Pretty excited to be back doing our thing. It's been like a two or three week break, and I haven't I haven't seen you. You've developed one hell of a beard, my friend.
0: Thank you. It's uh quite a quite a compliment, and I appreciate that. Thank thank you, friend.
1: You look like you look like you're ready for that playoff surge in baseball, man. You're like the you're like the cleanup hitter on a random baseball team. So you're looking good. Yeah. You got you got that Charlie Blackman swag.
0: This beard <laughs> is not coming off until free agency is over. It is my rally free agency beard. We Durant, Horford, Whiteside. I mean LeBron. I don't care any big name free agent. Come on down to Portland. Ryan Anderson. Hell, I'll take Rhino too, but this beard is, I'm doing what I can to get these free agents to Portland. What are you doing, Rip City?
1: <laughs> Fighting over Dwight or Al Horford or Hassan Whiteside, that's what we're doing.
0: I mean, man, these are, these, to me, these are the dog days of summer because, yeah, you've got the finals going on, and if you're a baseball fan, you've got baseball, which which is cool. I do like baseball. My team is the worst team in, in Major League Baseball, so no games are on television But it's that lull from when your season's over, it's completed, we're done, finished, to the draft, and then you've got free agency, and then you've got summer league, and then training, and so on. So it's just, there's this month and a half lull of just nothing, and there's no rumors. There's nothing to debate. I mean, you can only debate Dwight Howard or Hassan Whiteside or Al Horford so many times or... Should we trade CJ McCollum? I will pull my hair out if I see another. Should we trade CJ McCollum? Thread. Short answer: No. Like, I
1: I literally just bought a CJ McCollum jersey. If they screw me out of wearing that for an entire season, I'm gonna be pretty upset.
0: So, and, and it's even worse when your team is good. Like when you're the Blazers, even a few years ago, and we were just. Terrible. Like, you just wanted that draft so bad. So, it was fun to wait for the draft, but you knew, like, the next upcoming season, you're probably going to be pretty shitty, too. So, there wasn't too much to look forward to. Mm. You looked forward to Summer League. Um, You looked forward to seeing how the rookies developed. When your team makes it to the second round of the playoffs or even just has a surprising season, you get that taste and you want more. Mm. And so, the draft is cool. I mean, we don't have a pick. So, the draft would be cool on its own, but we don't have a pick. So that's really not going to whet the appetite. You're really waiting for free agency because who are the pieces we're going to get to push this over the top? Mm. And this is – I haven't been this antsy since the 2009 summer. That was the summer – that was a season, excuse me, we won 54 games. We did lose to the Rockets in six games, but, man, everything looked like it was coming up roses. Mm-hmm. We had a cap room. To sign a max deal. Uh, Brandon Roy was coming off second team All NBA honors. Greg Oden finally looked like he was turning the corner. We had Aldridge. You know, Rudy was a sensation. Uh, Travis Outlaw was up for like sixth man of the year. Uh, the squad was loaded. And I kind of feeling the same way about this team, even more so because Lillard is better than anyone we had on that 09 team, hands down. McCollum is just as exciting. And you've got just a bunch of role players who know their job. And we have a much better general manager at this point in time and head coach. Mm. Stotts is a fantastic offensive mind. Of mine. Olshay is, to me, a top three GM in the game. And we have a shit ton of money to spend. And for the first time since probably 93, excuse me, 92, we have somebody who could probably come to Portland on their own. Like usually when people get traded here, they fall in love with the city. It's been forever since we've had a player that actually wants to come to Portland. And that's what we're holding out hope for.
1: So, do you think it, like sorta? I think that we might trade for that third bit, that third piece. I'm starting to get that feeling like
0: there's. So, who l- are you going to give up? Because I don't see Neil Olshay trading CJ McCall. I don't he, either. I mean, Neil. Neil, they're he, he's his boo. I mean, he yeah. loves CJ McCall. He drafted him. I mean, we've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about his journey to see him play before he broke his foot. GMs fall in love with their own players, and CJ is really, I think, Neil's first guy. Uh, I know he technically drafted Lillard, but you look at Portland's draft situation in 2012. They had two picks. They had the biggest glaring need at point guard. Dame was by far and away the best point guard prospect in that class, wowed everybody in his pre-draft workout. That was a no-brainer. You or I could have made that pick. Yeah, exactly. So while Dame is the face of the franchise, and I'm sure Neil feels connected to him, CJ, that was his really first draft. He had his first full year in the, under the job as Portland Blazers GM, and he took CJ, traded for Alan Crabb, drafted Will Barton. That's a pretty damn good draft in what was at the time deemed a very weak draft.
1: Yeah, actually, for some reason, the worst thing that I think we could do, I, I know people are scared of Dwight Howard, but I think that we might be tempted to uh, trade like Mason Plumlee in a pick for Greg Monroe and that's what scares me more than anything because you know he's available there's not many franchises like mid-season they get their big name free agent and then are just like oh oh shit we just fucked up that's what Milwaukee's feeling with Greg Monroe I think he'll be very available and I do not want Neil O'Shea to bite
0: I think Monroe is probably option D or E at the moment. Uh, that, that, that's just like maybe a last resort for, for Olshay because if you trade for Monroe, you're giving up a lot of your cap space before even free agency starts, and I don't think that is what the intentions are. They're actually going to try and go out and get that big name. Uh, if Portland swings and misses, I've looked over this free agency class top to bottom numerous times, and even guys who you think might be steals like Bismack Biombo they go out and they have a great playoff series and they just boosted their value through the roof. So he's no longer on that Ed Davis or Alpha Rukamini bargain bin level. So it's going to be, I mean, you're really going to have to scrape the bottom of the barrel to find somebody. And I don't know if there is an Ed Davis or a Minu player out there that they're going to be able to find on a cap friendly contract. And to be honest, they shouldn't be looking for cap-friendly contracts. We both know that CJ is going to get that big extension next year. If they do keep Mason Plumley, he's due for a big raise next year. Uh, so that's going to eat up all of the cap space that is going to be uh, increased with the salary cap in 2017. And then you've got whatever free agent you might get this year. So people who say Portland should wait, maybe let the cake bake, uh, I completely disagree. This is the one time you really have to spend those dollars and go out and get somebody that you want. Uh, you, the time is now. Like, this team is ready to win. It's no more youth movement. Uh, you definitely want to keep people with Dame's career arc, but it's it's time to win. Like, Dame is 26. He's going to turn 26 this offseason. season. You only have so many prime years uh, of a franchise player. Don't waste them trying to wait for a moment. Go and grab that moment. Mm-hmm.
1: Like the great cannabis said, uh, "Good things don't come to those who wait. It's those who take." So let's take that third, that needle-moving third option, or maybe even a second option. But the wor- my worst-case scenario is trading for Greg Monroe, and
0: I think that's that- a pretty. That's a pretty bad worst case. I think a worst case for me is probably trying to max out Harrison Barnes.
1: Oh! That's... uh, I I don't like Greg Monroe more.
0: I mean, I think either option is is terrible for the Trailblazers. (laughs) Yeah. But I at least think Monroe has... I think Monroe can play. I just don't think that system's correct for him in Milwaukee. uh, He's a fantastic passer. He's almost what I think like Mason Plumlee. He is a Mason Plumlee, but who has a back-to-the-basket game? Because... This dude can pass the basketball just as good, if not better, than Plumlee. Uh, Neither is going to wow you with their defense. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, Milwaukee was the second-best defense two years ago. Greg Monroe came, and they're the worst. There's some correlation.
0: I I wouldn't put it all on his shoulders for that, but...
1: Oh, replacing Zaza with Greg Monroe.
0: Exactly. You look at the Utah Jazz. They had Ennis Cantor moved him, and all of a sudden they became a defensive juggernaut with Rudy Gobert. However, you look at their record, they still didn't do shit this year. So, yeah, the numbers say defensively they were much better, but they are a terrible, a god-awful offensive team. If Gordon Hayward doesn't have it going or Favors doesn't have Monster night, they're not getting points from anybody. So when people point out you know, stats like that, it's kind of just like you know, you're cherry-picking, and I'm not talking about you in general, Sage. I would never accuse you of doing anything like that. Well, my we hate
1: for Greg Monroe is pretty, pretty evident.
0: Because we both know Enos Kanter is not, not a good defender, but he's not this worst defender of all time that people are making him out to be. He was very productive for the Thunder this season, super efficient. He would get maybe 18 minutes, and you'd see him like put up like 15 and 12. I mean, the dude's a freaking monster. And you can uh,
1: hide one dude on defense.
0: Of course, especially in today's, day, yeah. today's age with zone defenses. You can totally do that. And there's no really great back-of-the-basket players. So um, that's why I would be cautious about saying somebody is that bad of a defender in Cantor's case. Uh, Monroe definitely has concerns as well. Um, my My concerns are that he didn't fit in Detroit, didn't fit in Milwaukee. I mean, is Portland really that much of a better fit? So that's why he would be my, my option D or E. Uh, Sage, are there any other free agents that you would, would just, like, stare c- completely clear of, or is it really just Harrison Barnes of that elite group that people are it, talking about?
1: I mean, everyone has a mole in their game, but I'm really scared of Harrison Barnes and Greg Monroe. Those are the two. Like if, And I could talk myself into both of them. I just don't want to.
0: Yeah, I don't want to either. Like, Harrison Barnes, I'm like, oh, you know, number one high school recruit. Went to Carolina, played pretty good at Carolina. I did want him coming out of the draft when we were picking. I wanted Dame too, but I thought maybe we could get Dame later. Obviously, I knew that wasn't going to happen, so I was happy with Dame. But you look at Barnes, and you get so many wide-open looks, and he's just not a consistent shooter. He's got good form Decent back-to-the-basket game when he gets the ball down low when he has a height advantage, but I don't know what it is. I don't think a player is going to get more easy in open shots than in the Golden State offense, featuring Draymond, Steph, and Clay. How is he going to become a more fo- focal point in offense and somehow produce more when there's not the, the focus on other players? So now the teams, if he goes, let's say, like, Sacramento and is their number two option, just throwing throwing shit at the wall. Once teams double boogie, they're going to go after him. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you going to react when the defense is solely focused on you and one other player instead of just being an afterthought? He's an afterthought right now with Golden State. He's got it made in the shade. And if he was smart, he would probably take a little bit less and ride that gravy train. Uh, because they're looking like they're going to keep going back to the finals, at least for the time being. Um, And there's nothing against Barnes. It's not that I dislike him as a player or a a person. I just, the term max money gets thrown around way too often. And for a player who I don't think will ever sniff an all-star team, max money just seems outrageous. But that's the nature of the beast, especially given his restricted free agency status.
1: Is there anyone in the draft that you just think
0: is going to be a bust? I mean, there's a lot of players who I think could be be bust. I mean, there's a, this draft to me is the most boom or bust draft yeah. I can remember. I could see Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, uh, Bender, Jalen Brown, um, Buddy Heald, Marcus Chris. I mean, you go up and down that entire, Jamal Murray, the entire lottery, I could say boom or bust. Like, I don't think there's one surefire prospect in this draft. Um, that's a little scary to me if I'm picking that high in the draft. So you're looking at teams like Minnesota shopping that five-pick reportedly for Jimmy Butler. You look at the Celtics just actively shopping that three-pick so they can continue to move up the Eastern Conference ladder. There's a reason why these lottery picks are being shopped. It's because nobody is sold on these prospects.
1: Yep. I I think that uh, Jalen Brown, like, if the Pelicans draft Jalen Brown and don't immediately trade him, my older brother Better Hope, I am not driving on our road trip because I'm going to be f- pissed off. That is the one person like I could talk myself into Chris Dunn or Buddy healed Jalen Brown absolutely not. I couldn't do it he's got yeah, he's got the athleticism and he's a six seven type of player, but he doesn't he hasn't he doesn't have anything else in his game. He doesn't look like a shooter. Like when I watched him, he didn't look like he knew what he was doing. Like the, the the good things about him is he's athletic, and when I read like his interviews, he seems like a smart guy. But I don't I don't want him on my team. And
0: then, yeah, I think I heard that he's really intelligent. Um, but again, I've heard things that the Cal system probably wasn't the best for him to go into, and we've seen that with prospects. Andre Drummond looked. Like trash at yeah, UConn. Yeah, I thought he was going to be a
1: bust, honestly.
0: But that's because nobody passed. his guards refused to pass him the basketball, okay. and the only thing he scored was off of oops or putbacks. So it's that's why it's so tough to be a scout, and why I think there is a just, there's just a massive amount of luck that goes into the NBA draft. Uh, so looking back at it, I think Portland is probably fortunate that they're not picking this year, and they did. If you had to give a pick, give it up this year. Mm-hmm. Um, There are going to be gems. There are gems in every draft. CJ was number 10. I think Clay was 11. Uh, Kawhi was like, he was in that late lottery, uh, late lottery range. Tony Parker, 29. Cliff Robinson, first pick of the second round. Like, you are going to find a gem. There is going to be a great player out of this draft, but the odds of finding it, I mean, it's almost like you're looking for a needle in a haystack.
1: Yeah, it it seems like drafting, like finding that right piece, it's really lucky. You have to be smarter than everyone else and be pretty damn lucky. But, like, even people that you and I love, like, we had so many nice things to say about Gary Payton Jr., but when you look at it, he wasn't a guard until this year. Like, he was a forward. He doesn't have the greatest dribbling skills. And also,
0: we're talking about a second prospect, too, so when you're looking at Maybe late first, second round talent. You're looking for a specialization, a, a niche. What can they fall into? What can they do really well that separates them from others? Defense. You know, stealing the basketball, on-ball perimeter defense. Huge need for the Trailblazers. That's what he brings. I remember being very enamored with Kenneth Freed coming out of the draft. The dude led the, the NCAA in rebounding, like, those last three years. Rebounding is one skill set, to me, that translates from any level of basketball. Sure enough, he turned into the Manimal, and that was a fantastic pick. So when you're picking later, look for the guys who can do one thing and can stay in the league because you look at rosters across the NBA, you don't have 12 Damian Lillards. One, they don't exist. And two, you don't necessarily want that. You need to fill out a team with roles. So why does a guy like Kyle Korver last 13, 14 years in the league? Because he can shoot the lights out of that goddamn basketball.
1: Paul Milstap was the second rounder, and they didn't think he was that good. I mean, like... People
0: missed. You know, it, it was a little, a uh, little detour. But I believe Kevin Pritchard had this formula, and Millsap rated very high, like maybe top five on that 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 um, board. And we had numerous chances to pick him. We drafted Sergio late in that that draft, uh, Sergio Rodriguez in the first round, and then I believe we took Joel Freeland as well. Um, so we had a chance to get Brandon Roy, Lamarcus Aldridge, and Paul Millsap in one draft. God.
1: I love Paul Mills. And I so, want to know
0: that, too, because of the rebounding.
1: Yeah, he was left at the I, NCAA I for, like, three
0: years. Yeah, I don't see an undersized power forward. I see somebody who gets rebounds, who just goes after and gets the ball. And that's, especially when you're picking in the second round, like, don't worry about their height, their wingspan, their weight. What can they do? What did they produce? Because that's what's going to separate a second-round guy from being cut to making your roster. Mm-hmm.
1: Dude's motor is, un- is unbelievable. That, like, that helped him stay in the league. Motor is definitely a skill that people don't talk about.
0: Not at all. Yeah. Do you? So come draft day, draft day, we're, we're recording this episode Tuesday night, the 14th, at just a little before 10.30 p.m. on the Pacific Coast. Sage, I know the draft is a while away, and the, really the rumors are we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg, and I expect them to start heating up um, as we get closer to uh, next Thursday's NBA draft. But do you see the Trailblazers, we, we both agree they're going to find a way to get it at least into the second round. But in terms of a big trade, trading a core piece to get a, a pick, or maybe acquire another first-round pick, do you see that happening?
1: I'd give it 30% that it happens, but 70 it doesn't. I don't think, like, of course we would love to have the Derek Favors trade or something like that, but... I think we're going to keep it as is unless someone knocks our stock, socks off and then try and get someone in free agency.
0: Yeah, I think this is the... Um, I've heard arguments for and against the draft in free agency and what order they should go into. This almost hurts Portland a little bit because had free agency been earlier, Portland's likely going to target big men and go after them hard. Uh, at least four or five of them. You know, we, We've talked about... Howard, Horford, Whiteside, uh, Biambo, um, maybe even Ian Mahimi from, from the Indiana Pacers. So there are a plethora of bigs. That is the strength of this free agency class. And Portland needs to spend their money. We, we've discussed that, how it's urgent that they spend it this year. Had the free agency period been before the draft, we would know Portland had landed one of those big fish. If they did, then Mason Plumley becomes very available yeah, very to, to move in the draft. But if you're Neil Olshay, can you really risk moving Plumley A week before free agency starts and what what happens if you strike out on all your centers then you're really back into a corner in terms of bringing back Myers Leonard if another team knows okay I'm gonna max him out because I know you need a center Mm. I know you can match him it's gonna be almost the exact role reversal of Portland and Ennis Cantor last summer when they maxed him out against the Oklahoma City Thunder so I definitely don't envy Neil Olshay's position it's definitely a game of chess and What it would signal to me is if we do trade Mason Plumlee on draft night, and he's really the one guy I could see us moving um, on draft night, that signals to me that he is extremely confident that he has got somebody lined up or that they're going to get somebody. Because I don't think you just move him because you really like a player in the draft. I'm not going to buy that for one minute. Not with the way the team performed last year and with the expectations going into 2017. Because this team's a playoff team. They are looking to make noise. You don't just move your starting center for a draft pick because you like the guy. I don't think that's the. I don't think that's the position of this franchise right now. Yeah. Maybe last year you're trying to go youth movement. This year you're really trying to improve this team around Dame and CJ and, and really make a push. They scared the Warriors, uh, last playoffs. They know they can compete with the best. Mm-hmm. So why take a step back? So that to me it would signal that they have got somebody lined up. Uh, that they feel really confident in, in signing. I, yeah. I, I I agree with you. I would give it about thirty percent chance of us making a move outside of a second round pick or purchasing a pick.
1: Mm-hmm. And it, if if Mason does get traded, that's that, that's definitely a signal that other pieces are going to happen. How do you want to intro Throwback Thursday?
0: So moving away from the draft, the real point of this episode was. To do, and I give all the credit to my man Sage, who came up with this idea for a Throwback Thursday podcast. During the summer, uh, we talked about this being kind of the dog days of our summer right now, even though summer probably technically hasn't even begun. But for us, it's been just brutal getting through these days. So we can talk about, you know, new Blazers, mm. uh, free agency, summer camp, summer league uh, training, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But to pass the timer, I mean, what better way that's going off like a madman's age? I
1: know. Sorry, I'm popular.
0: <laughs> so what better way than to go back and rewatch a former game and kind of take ourselves back into what it was like during that time period and just discuss maybe the events leading up to that game, the game itself, and where the Trailblazers went from there. Uh so we will be doing these periodically throughout the summer. We would love to get your input on maybe what games you'd love to, you know, hear us, you know, relive and, and reminisce about. But the first one is from the 1992 Western Conference Finals against the Utah Jazz. It was Game Five, uh, May 26, 1992, and the series is tied up at two. Uh, really, this has been a series dictated by the home team. If you remember, the Memorial Coliseum was damn near impossible for Western Conference teams to win uh, during the Blazers' three-year run from 90 through 92. I believe their overall record was something like, I believe they went something like 25-1. and That one, one loss to a Western Conference fellow coming in Game 1 of that 1991 Western Conference final against the Lakers. So they were utterly dominant at home. The Utah Jazz had the NBA's best home record for... It seemed like every year in the 90s at the Delta Center with you know Stockton and Malone, those fans were just as rowdy as the Blazers fans. So many believe this series was just going to be, you know, if somebody could win a game on the other team's home court, they were going to win the series. That's just how it was going to be. So really, the Blazers looked at the game five as almost an elimination game. You have to win this. You do not want to go back down to Utah, down three, two and have to win you know, two straight games because winning in Utah is almost like winning two games. It just didn't happen. Uh, Every team struggled against them. Maybe you were lucky to beat them one time over the course of the year, but this is a team that routinely won 35, 37-plus home games each and every year. And it was a difficult challenge. I mean, the Jazz were absolutely loaded this year in the Western Conference. They had Karl Malone, who finished third in the MVP vote. Uh, Drexler was second. Jordan was obviously first, who won it again. Uh, the Malone—they called them the Malone brothers—they weren't really related, but Jeff Malone was a sweet shooting uh, small forward. You had the big, tall Timber uh, Mark Eaton uh, manning the middle, and then you had Blue Edwards uh, and John Stockton. You know, you had two of really the top 25 NBA players of all time, and the Blazers really had their way with this Jazz team. Whether it was Drexler era or the um, the late 90s, just 12 deep roster, we played the Jazz five times in the playoffs. They only beat us one year. They never beat us at home. The year they beat us was 95-96, and even that year, we forced it to five games in the first round. Um, and that was that was the year before the Jazz broke through and finally made it to the finals. So for whatever reason, the Blazers just had Utah's number. And on this night, it was really more of the same. Portland just jumped out all over the Jazz to you know a huge lead. Um, they led by eight points in... At halftime, they push the lead to to 14 in the third quarter. But what really I think flipped the script in this game was right near halftime. Drexler, there's like three seconds left, and they inbound him. He's going full length of the court, and he's trying to make something happen. And this dude could glide, mm-hmm. uh, hence the nickname. And he goes up, and Stockton, who was the NBA all-time steals leader, gets one of those paws in there, knocks it free, and you know Drexler loses the the, the ball. And then in hand, so, the hands
1: Spreads his
0: Jazz hands and no pun intended, actually pun intended. Jazz hands and it, it scratches Stockton's Stockton's eye. And he, he suffers from double vision and has to you know exit the game. He cannot come back And While you're watching the broadcast, it's funny because like they would go into like there's like four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Oh, we're still not sure if John Stockton's going to return to the game. Guys, I, I think it's pretty clear he's he's not coming back. But I don't know whether that was Portland letting their guard down, or Utah just elevating their game in the absence of their, their leader. But they made it a game, that and of, uh,
1: of messed with my emotions. It and
0: did. Like I, while you're watching the game, like you know the outcome of, of, of the final score. The Portland. I, I, had, I
1: actually had no idea. Like,
0: so I did, but, but well, they didn't.
1: I was one years old when this game happened. I had no idea what was happening. And I was texting you throughout the game, like, are you sure this game is going to get good? We're dominating in every single aspect of this game. Stockton's looking good and getting assists, but, like, they're not playing well. The Blazers were hedging so well on pick and roll, clogging up that middle, making it impossible to, like, start their offense. So,
0: And this was before zone defense. So if you doubled the pick and roll... You had to bust your ass back to the next available player. Otherwise, they would call you for a legal defense. And yep. once you got your second one, that's a technical. So Portland, I mean, it was, it's, it's, all, it's crazy to watch because it was so anti stotts defense. They would double the shit out of John Stockton, almost similar to what teams would do to Lillard now. Oh, yeah, they it take, was
1: eerily similar. Like with Buck doubling, like you know he had the speed to get back to the open man. It just shows the positives of being a little bit risky on defense. I mean, for outside of
0: losers. outside of Dennis Rodman, I don't think there was a better interior power forward defender over that three-year span. Yeah. Uh, he made first-team all-defense one, one of the two years. I think he was at least second-team all across, but he made Carl Malone fight for every single point he got. Like, the dude, I mean, you want to talk about just two Mack trucks just going at each other full force that's what happened like every possession, they were banging down low uh there was one moment in the fourth quarter where Delaney Rudd was inserted in the game for John Stockton he's trying to set a pick on Buck Buck just steamrolls this dude like he's not even there and the refs are letting it go because you know they they let them play like they wanted to see Buck and Malone do work down low and I don't Carl Malone is Arguably the best power forward of all time, you could he was say. Tim made Duncan.
1: Muscle in that game too.
0: Yeah, you. you I mean, just the dude is chiseled, and it always baffles me that he got better as he got older. I mean, this was 1992, and he was over 30 years old. He went and won the NBA MVP in 1999, in '97. So late into his 30s, he was still making the Jazz a dominant team, just because Stockton had fallen way off at this point in time, and he was still going strong, so you could only imagine how much of a just a terror he was down low, but Buck made him work for everything, and if you look at the box score, you're like, come on, come on guys, like Malone had 38 points and 14 boards on 53% shooting, and I would say that's a hell of a game, that's just Karl Malone doing Karl Malone things, but when you look at how good he was that season, you almost have to take it, because it took him 30 shots to get that 38 points, and most importantly, you kept Malone off the foul line. He only got there six times. I mean, this was a dude that he was tough to officiate, and he was physical, and he was uh, a big body down low, and he was active, so he got to the line a lot. You will only hold him to six attempts. You take that any day of the week.
1: Yep. I mean, in that third quarter, what what were they going to do with stopping out? They are going to throw it to Malone every time and see what he could do. Him being one of the best power forwards ever, he's going he's gonna to try to get... It, Get busy. And he, and he played Well, but it was he worked for it. That's all you when, can do
0: And when John Stockton's not in the game, it's not like you know how to play the Utah Jazz. You scout the Stockton and Malone Jazz. That's what you scout. Mm-hmm. You don't expect Stockton to to not play or not be in, in that second half. So I think a lot of it was almost just like the Blazers having to wing it. And it was just as much of a you know a wrench thrown into the game for Portland as as it was for the Jazz. And uh, funny story, I, I have the all three of the years, the 90, 91, and 92, they're called the video yearbooks, and I had all of those on VHS growing up, and I would just watch those religiously as a kid um, during the summer, like whenever growing up, and uh, Bill Shonley did all the narration for, for every one of them, and I was about probably maybe 9 or 10, and I was watching it, and it said like when we are talking about Drexler poking Stockton in the eye, uh, Shonley says he inadvertently and as this little ten-year-old who just idolized Clyde, I was like, he he wouldn't do that on purpose. What does it inadvertently mean? So I call up my mom and I'm like, mom, what does it inadvertently mean? <laughs> She's like, oh, it just means he didn't do it on purpose. I'm like, Whew. like just the biggest sigh of relief for a ten-year-old that you could ever imagine. I was like, okay, Clyde. You're so you're good, you're good, dude. You would never hurt anybody on purpose.
1: Well, it it didn't so, look like it didn't look like he was maliciously doing anything. Like once Stockton got the ball, his hands flared. Like it was just an unfortunate eye poke. It wasn't like. Drexler gouged, stopped in the eye like some power forward in this uh, playoffs likes to intentionally kick people in the dick and balls. It, it's it's different. Like,
0: <laughs> And what I noticed, I, I took away a lot of things about the series growing up, but the, one of the biggest things is probably if I asked you, who do you think the most overrated member of the Hall of Fame is? Not that they're not deserving, but who do you think is the most overrated
1: I don't know who
0: are you gonna say. To me, it's John Stockton, and I know he has the assist record. I know he has the steals record, but growing up, I saw him get his ass served by Terry Porter. That defense
1: was fantastic.
0: Year in and year out, and sure enough, I went and I looked back at the series stats, and Porter was was the guy for the Blazers this year. Like Drexler finished second in the MVP voting, had a fantastic series. But it was Porter who set the tone in those first two games, which the Blazers, they won by 33 points, or excuse me, 25 points in game one and 17 points in game two. He set the tone, and he averaged 26 points, 8 assists, 4 boards, shot 53% from three and 55% from the field. He ate Stockton up. Like, Stockton had great numbers, too, but 14 points and 11 assists, on 39% shooting from the field and 23% from three. It does nothing for me. Yeah, I know assists are fantastic, and he had 11 of them, but Porter just beat his ass every single playoff series, and that's what I remember growing up, so of course I'm biased. Of course I have the rose, mm. rose-colored rose glasses on, but that's just the memory I have of Stockton, just just getting dominated by Terry Porter in those early 90s series.
1: I mean, like, that the d- defensive pressure that Porter put on Stockton was just absolutely incredible and he played like 50 minutes in that game there was only the, two reserves
0: there's two this team went seven deep when it count. like it was the big five and then you got uncle cliffy and danny danny age coming off like that was it like not even mark bryant got in this game uh it was you know portland they really shrunk that rotation um and really, if you look at the Jazz, had Delaney, had Stockton not gotten hurt, they probably are only going to play seven or eight guys too.
1: You know what's I mean, crazy? Should... In NBA two K, this year, like they made the blaze, th- that year Blazers, but you had to have ten players for a roster, so they just put Drazin back on the fucking team.
0: <laughs> I think it. I think the ninety. Are you sure it's ninety ninety one or ninety one ninety two?
1: All right, I maybe did a hot take that I don't remember fully. I think my Drazin
0: was on our. Her- that is a little, I, I love Petro, but that is a little, I mean, odd that he's included in the 91 team because so we moved draws in at the deadline in, in 91. Um, but good enough because I would love to play with Petro uh, once I, I get the new 2K. But just kind of back to that series and what Portland had to do to take that lead, I, I really look just at the overall balance of the team. And you had four players score 24 or more. You know, Duck, and Porter, and Kersey, and Clyde, and they're I mean, outside of Drexler's 9 of 19, they are all shooting at least 65% from the field. Super efficient. Just the way they move the ball, it's like, okay, Kevin, it's your turn. We're going to run that pick and pop. Okay, we're going to feed Kersey uh, for that mid-range jumper. Okay, Porter, it's your turn. Take that uh, spot up three. Okay, Drexler, go to work um, You know, on Tyrone Corbin or Blue Edwards. And
1: Corbin had a game. He we saved had a their
0: ass. But this, I just—I can't get over how just unselfish this Blazer team played oh, and yeah. how just lethal they were on the fast break. I was texting you. You were like, okay, what's going to happen? And I was like, there's a series, a sequence, probably at the three to four minute mark of the second quarter that just gives me chills every time I watch it. I think it. it was 3.39. And... Again, a lot of it stemmed from those videos I watched as a kid, and there was one of the announcers just said, Kersey again. Oh, how he can finish. And just the way he said it, and just Jerome being one of my favorite players, I still just get get goosebumps thinking about it. And sure enough, Portland gets a rebound. They're outletting it. Kersey's just booking ass down the left side of the key catches it in stride throws down a one hand power jam they get a stop the next time down you're not going to step up on porter okay he's going to pull it from the right wing from three boom they come back get another stop you watch kersey he makes the defensive play he puts his head down and he is just going full speed ahead clyde finds him again and he just just emphatically throws it down like just one of my favorite sequences of all, of all time and just really what embodies Jerome Kersey and why he was one of the all-time great trailblazers and maybe the, the most beloved blazer of all time because he just hustled his ass. There were oh, absolutely. Times in, in that game where he would do chase down blocks, grab rebounds. I, I, I remember mean, seeing
1: like a... Amazing. I saw like a a fast break for the Utah Jazz that like in this day and age of the NBA, it's has layup. Like, but I saw Jerome just book it, block the shot. Unfortunately, there was no one to get the rebound. So Malone got the fuck rebound and put it back up. But it's like that type of hustle isn't in the NBA like that. Like, Jerome Kersey was a special athlete. He's the and
0: exception. Really,
1: yeah, like his willingness to do the dirty things is pretty amazing. And I got to say, Kevin Duckworth abused Mark Eaton in that oh, first season. It was like
0: five big minutes. Duck was just eating him. I mean, Absolutely. he was just eating him. Mark Eaton is a very large man, and Duck is never going to be, you know, can um, mistaken for somebody who's really, you know, quick on his feet. He's quick for a big man, but he's still, you know, a little. He you know, takes blodding. a couple steps. He's a little. You know, I mean, he's he's got a little footwork in there, but I mean, he would just get the ball on the left block, couple dribbles to the middle of the paint dip that shoulder in, fade a little bit, throw that baby hook up and and she was in. You want to put him in if you want to put him in the pick and roll, you can't stick with him. I mean he was hitting that that baby jumper from from the you know the baseline on each side and you know Duck Duck shot eleven of fifteen. He had twenty four and six. Um, we talk about Kersey he led all Blazers with twenty nine. He shot thirteen of twenty, added ten boards and five uh and five assists, four blocks. I mean God damn, like, filling yeah. up this, everyone doing their job.
1: I hate to say it, but when Cliffy went in, the defense and the offense suffered a lot.
0: Cliff, back in those days, was still, that was his third year in the league, everyone saw the talent, like, they, oh, he yeah, won, you, six, you, he you won the see. sixth man of the year award the following year, so there was a lot of talent, but in terms of, I mean, you've got the big five, they, they had been there, and I mean, they were all in the prime of their careers. Cliff was just getting there. Uh, so, it still took Cliff a little bit while to adjust, mm-hmm. but he still showed... I mean, you could see why he you was fighting first. Yeah. yeah, you could see why he was pushing Kersey every day in practice. Um, but there's a reason why Jerome Kersey was Jerome Kersey, and that was at, at the peak of Kersey. Like, he was an incredible player, and I think going up against those guys in practice made Cliff the player that he was, because Cliff is still super high on a lot of Blazer categories, Uh, you look in the the stat sheet, you see Cliff Robinson. Games played, points, rebounds, blocks, even three-pointers made. Like, Cliff is up there.
1: I think every Blazer fan... Like, I'm obviously new booty, but if you really love this team, you need to go back to those 90s Blazers, those 70s games. And that's honestly what we're going to do with the Throwback Thursday segment. Because...
0: And... These early 90s Blazer teams, they're the reason I am the fan that I am today. Who knows, if, if we were shitty when I was growing up, I can't honestly say. I mean, I'd, hopefully I would still be a Trailblazer fan, but when you're a kid, obviously, one, you like rooting for the local team, but two, you, you want to see your guys on TV and you want to have that player to latch onto. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that was Clyde Drexler. I mean, I idolized him growing up, you know, you're playing in your, your front yard, Playing basketball and you're envisioning yourself in that 22 jersey making the game-winning shot. We've all counted down three, two, one, and you throw it up and in. And uh, for me, that was Clyde and this team. I, I still hold those teams near and dear to my heart more than any team in, in franchise history, um, and probably I'll love them more than the team that wins the, me the title. Uh, it's just like your first love; you'll never forget about them. And I still have, you know, the posters I've got the the lithographs um autographed and, and signed uh i've got the bank of america lithographs too that i got for my birthday like i still have things that i've gotten when i was like in first grade like i remember being at my first grade birthday party and i was you know seven years old and the blazers are playing the lakers and i have my first grade teacher who i was really like she's one of my favorite teachers she was giving me updates on the game, like Dust, okay, the Blazers had. I was like, you know, sweet, you know, I'm roller skating, Blazers are winning, I'm getting presents, eating cake, like greatest day ever.
1: Man, so I I took pretty meticulous notes throughout the game, but when it got to the fourth quarter, I, I just stopped. Like once uh like at 930 of the fourth quarter, the Blazers defense started being aggressive again. And I put away my computer a foot away, everything, and I just I just watched that last quarter and a half. And it was just one of the best games you could ever see. Like, it was
0: great basketball. Absolutely. It wasn't bad defense. It was just good execution on the offense. You've got one of the best wing players, one of the best post players in Drexler and Malone going toe-to-toe, neither team wanting to really budge. Utah, even without Stockton, felt like this game was for, for the taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got blown out of the, the building the first two games. And, you know, this was really the first time that they showed that they, they could play in the Memorial Coliseum. And to be honest, they didn't want to come back to Portland for a Game 7. That's just that's asking a lot. So this was their chance. And you could tell with every possession that it, it meant the world to them. They were treasuring every single possession. And... Portland gets the lead. They're up by three. The most unlikeliest of shots occurs, and Delaney Rudd pulls up, I think earlier than they expected. Oh, yeah. Like, the game,
1: I remember Steve seeing. Jones
0: is is talking about, you know, they should foul for possession mm-hmm. if you're Portland. I don't think Delaney Rudd gave him the chance to. I don't know if he went rogue. I have no idea if Jerry Sloan called that play, but it went in, and it was probably the biggest shot of his career and it forced overtime and I can only imagine if I was of age and could really t- remember it like it like it was just like you know we're watching last year's playoffs like you you know what's happening in the moment if I was that, that old watching it I would probably have just been a nervous wreck because your season is literally in the balance of your Portland throws you have five minutes to make this right they came out like Goddamn gangbusters in overtime!
1: Oh yeah, without a doubt. Like, I, remember, I mean,
0: it, go ahead.
1: I remember seeing like the. I I went on to Basketball Reference and saw like the like the advanced stats. Porter's numbers in that overtime were absolutely bananas. He had like an offensive rating of one hundred fifty. A hundred's pretty damn good. He was he was killing it. That entire team was killing it in the OT. It made them, it like they just took every bit of momentum and kept it for the entire rest of
0: the game. And what what I remembered most about that fourth quarter in overtime, it was, okay, Duck, Kersey, and TP, you guys got us to this point. Now let's put it on the shoulders of our superstar. Mm-hmm. Clyde made some plays. He was facilitating the offense off of the dribble, getting to the cup, hit a couple threes, and if they were taking away the drive, he was dishing it off to Duck or Jerome for for those shots. And he just really took over that game. There are two just awesome plays where the Blazers are sharing the ball, which lead to Buck Williams hammer dunks. One results in the and one, and you just 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 screaming because it's so awesome to see this team come back like the face of adversity. They could have easily folded and said, oh, "Shit, they got us." Like how? Like, we got to win two games in a row now. No, they responded like, you know, the Western Conference champions that they they are. And they got it done. They eventually won 127 to to 121 in probably the best, easily the best game of the series. Um, For those who were living under a a rock and don't know who who won the series, uh, Portland finished them off two days later in Utah. 105-97, 105-97, um, I think they really rode the victory. That, that overtime, I think, made them a stronger team and pushed them to the point of getting that game six win in Utah because game four, it was for the taking. And if you go back, that Portland, I believe, was issued with like six technicals in that game. They let the referees kind of get in their heads, and they were playing the refs instead of the jazz. And Utah took game four, 121-112. Uh, but Portland played a smarter game they came back from an initial onslaught by the jazz in game six. I believe the jazz were up by 13 in that first period. And they slowly whittled it away. They made those championship plays that you, you have to win road games in the postseason. You're going to be a champion. And they, they did that and it set up the finals that everybody wanted to see, uh, Drexler versus Jordan. I remember having that sports illustrated cover Drexler and Jordan on a collision course. I believe I got a couple of copies. Um, my dad used to work at the Albertsons, and I would be like, "Hey, Dad, just you know, first thing in the morning, can you scoop me up some copies to save them and bring them home?" And sure enough, he, you know, he came through in the clutch like he always did. So, uh, the '92 season and the '91, like those were the years that I, I really first fell in love with this team and my earliest memories of it. Um, so, anytime we get the chance to, to go back and forth and, and talk about it, uh, it really brings, as you can tell with my voice, yeah, it's we, way we,
1: we've been excited today
0: tonight I'm super excited um outside of that sequence that i talked about earlier with the kersey dunks and the porter three did you have a favorite moment in that game stage?
1: trexler's baseline dunk in the oh. uh, i wrote the it down yeah in the first he had a really quick first step and mark Eaton's slow ass did not rotate in time and he uh, did a really beautiful baseline dunk
0: I mean, we're looking at Drexler, so I'm looking at him through kid eyes back in the day. I'm like, oh, God, I got to get me a pair of those (laughs) Avias. You know, this guy is the best thing in the world. And to me, he still is. Like, I love Clyde, but looking back, like, he had the most busted ass kicks. He was balding, and he didn't shave it off, and he was still dunking on fools like it was nothing. Like, you got this dude who looked like an old man out there, but he just had so much game. The play you're talking about, he had it on on the left hand side of the court, just a simple quick jab to the the baseline, and he was by his defender. And like you said, Eaton was too slow and he just packed that in with one hand and you know, that was Clyde. He's Glyde, a fab he could Glide. but he could dunk on some people with some force. Like so don't get it twisted just because his nickname was the Glide that he was, you know, silky smooth all the time. He had a lot of force in his game. And, you know, I don't know if we'll ever really see another Clyde. Like, people talk about another MJ, but, you know, guys like Clyde and Dominique, those guys, I don't know if they're around anymore. Just, like, six seven six nine, just powerful wings who just can just float through the air, but also just, just bang it in on you. Like, those guys, like, who's out there like that anymore? Like, it's just a different type of, of NBA. And we're going to be doing these throwback Thursday episodes throughout the season. So if you have a game you want us to to talk about, send us that YouTube link. Like for one, it's gotta be available for us to watch. And two, my other rule, we are not losing a game we're gonna talk about. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's just that's too much heartbreak I've already I've already experienced as a Trailblazer fan. Uh, I'm not gonna relive it. I'm only gonna relive the, the good times. So Honestly,
1: if there's any games out there If you guys want to talk about losing games, just give it to me and I'll blog about it or something. I don't know. But I'm not going to put Dustin through the the L again. For 100% of the games that you guys are going to show us in the past, I did not watch these games. Like, with the 92 game, I was one years old. You know I didn't watch it. I I didn't go back to the archives and watch it. So for me, this is a really good chance to become a better Blazers fan. Because I feel like I already have become a better blazers fan watching these old school teams put in work
0: since you've seen a, uh at least a game's worth of footage, hopefully more, who do you think you would gravitate towards as your favorite blazer of, of that of that early 90s bunch? Jerome Kersey. yeah
1: I like I mean he's a hard worker I like that. I don't know like if I was a kid, I probably would gravitate towards trickler. But you know I like those scrappy small forwards.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously Drexler was my guy growing up, and he's still my favorite Blazer of all time now. But after watching all those videos, seeing the Kersey dunks, obviously working with him a little bit at the Trailblazers, just seeing his overall impact in the community and him coming back as an ambassador. um, You know, Kersey's number two now. Like, just amazing. Love that guy. Um just I really love them all. Like the the big six. Like I don't really count Danny Ainge because he he was only there for two years and I'm uh, a little upset because we got him and that kind of in, in management eyes made Drazen Petrovic expendable and we should have never traded Drazen Petrovic. Um recipes. You know, Ainge Ainge had his moments, but it was really the starting five and Uncle Cliffy, those were my guys.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I think we should close it out with saying, what have we been doing, and what are our plans for the summer? You want me to go? All right, well, my older brother is going to do a change of life. He's been living in D.C. for a long time. Um, He's single, going to do his own thing for a while. So he's going to move to Seattle, Washington. And uh, he and I are going to drive to uh, Seattle from D.C., move all of his crap. So, for the next, like, two weeks, I'm going to be on the road. I'm uh, looking forward to it. It's either going to be the best experience of my life or the worst. So, I- I- I'm ready, you know. So, But, I-, I'll, I-, I mean, I'll still be available, like, if we make a trade in the draft or something. But, yeah, that- that's my plans for the next two weeks.
0: He's not going to become a Seahawks fantasy.
1: <sighs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I don't want to talk shit on my brother's fandom. For football, but he's been a little bit uh, unfaithful for a while. Mm. I think he's going to be a Niners fan because of Chip Kelly.
0: Okay, I, I I approve of that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, so if the Blazers do make a significant move, we will be podcasting that. Yep. Otherwise, you can expect our next episode uh, to be about free agency. Like once the f- first day of free agency, we will be recording. Uh, what's happening? Who are we meeting with? Possibly. So we will be at we, we will be with you guys throughout the summer in terms of free agency. Uh, we'll do you know some summer league uh, and just anything that that happens along the way. Uh, hopefully, we can maybe do a Olympics podcast because a lot of players are pulling out. And hmm, look who's available. None other than one of the best point guards in the NBA, mm-hmm. Damien Lillard. Sage, he's got to be a lock to make absolutely.
1: This because CP's out, James Harden, Russell, that's three ball-handling guards.
0: Steph Curry.
1: Oh, Steph's out as well. That's four. The, the, the United States needs Damian Lillard. So let's put him on. And, hey, I, I saw that CJ McCollum's been working out with the Team USA, and I approve of that as well.
0: I mean, I think you could you could put Damian, CJ, and just starting one and twos and just destroy the rest of the world.
1: It should be there's no,
0: no team that would give those two any problems. But do you think. Okay, so there's. Obviously, the Zika virus is an issue. There is the issue of them overworking themselves after a long season of carrying, shouldering a, a large blazer load for 82 games plus a second round of the playoffs. Do you have any concern about them overworking themselves in the summer by playing in the Olympics? I
1: think. I mean, you, you we've experienced that as Blazer fans with Nicholas Batum. I've personally watched Anthony Davis dog it for half the year, maybe 75%. I
0: but do you per- think that can be chalked up exclusively to international? Because I mean, we're talking about the USA basketball. It's not like Batum where he's starting and logging a shit ton of minutes. This is Team USA where you're probably at most playing half of a game, if that.
1: I, I want to see Damon CJ if they make the team play, but you got to be pretty. Con- you got to realize that they're gonna be. That's a lot of minutes logged this this year, but I want to see them play.
0: So if I guess my just to play devil's advocate, if they're log if they're not gonna log minutes at for Team USA, is that any different than playing? maybe in Jamal Crawford's celebrity basketball or just playing pickup. I know a lot of the guys go down to UCLA. There's a lot of great runs there in the summer or starting training camp early like they did this year. Um, is there any difference?
1: A little bit.
0: I, because of the travel?
1: The travel. And I mean, the summer is where you develop stuff, but I can't think of a better group of guys to develop with than the team USA guys.
0: That's kind of my train of thought as well. Usually guys come out of that experience better than yeah. than, than works.
1: I mean, yeah, like Anthony Davis definitely developed hanging out with Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and everyone else. So I'd like to have Dave uh, get that experience. I, I really wish Chris Paul was there to just show him how to probe the, probe the defense. But, that, I mean, like, I think it would be a great experience for both.
0: I'm excited because I'm not – growing up as, as a kid – I love the Dream Team. I had Dream Team everything. Drexler made the Dream Team, so I was all all aboard. Like, I I love the shit out of that team. Um, And I really got into it. Like, 96, Dream Team 2 was fun. 2000, Vince Carter dunked over Frederick Weiss and just blew the roof off of the nation after after that. Um, I even really rooted for the 2004 team, which won bronze. I really started to sour on Olympic basketball when... That that redeem team bullshit came on. It's like, oh, my God, we're the United States. We have to be the best. Um, and I think also as growing up, it's easier to dislike competitive play or competitor players. Uh, so like, hell no, I wasn't going to root for Kobe. I don't care if you're wearing USA or a Lakers jersey. Like I'm not rooting for you. Um, obviously, no Blazers were involved these past two Olympics, so I just didn't really care. Or I would—I I think I rooted for Spain because they had Rudy Fernandez, or France because they had Nicolas Batum. I'm definitely a Blazer fan first over uh, international basketball. But if Dame's going to be involved, like I will watch every single game, like religiously, um, especially if he's starting because he has a great chance of starting. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that, Sage?
1: I'll, I'm gonna—I'll I'll watch regardless. It's basketball, but I got a question for you. Let's say Dame and CJ make the team, but don't play at all. Which will you be more excited about? Don't play at all? Don't play at all. Or play very limited. What are you going to be more excited about? The Summer League Blazers team or the Olympics?
0: I mean, that's that's actually a really tough question. I know it is. (laughs) Because Summer League can be... Now, if you would say if we had a great rookie coming in, like when Dame or Brandon and you really want to see how they develop, I would say Summer League hands down. I don't really know who's going to be in this year's Summer League outside of maybe like a Montero or a or Cliff Alexander. Or if we do get a rookie, I don't assume it's going to be a lottery pick. So there might not be anything there. I still, probably, I still think probably the Olympics I would be excited for. Uh, that's just a once-in-a-generation type thing yep. uh, to see. And also, I hopefully... He gets to play because I would one. I'd love to get the Team USA jersey if they're if they're fire. Uh, get a Lillard, and then you know Adidas is going to drop a sweet colorway of the <laughs> Dame twos. Which I mean, I remember wanting the the Jordan sevens, the Barcelonas when when he played. Uh, I can only imagine how dope the the Lillard twos are going to look.
1: So, how? Uh, all right, last question. Last question that I'll probably wrap up. Did you listen to that? uh... Shook Ones song? The 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 new Dame song with Shook Ones instrumental?
0: No, I haven't had a chance to get to it. Was it any good? So-so? It
1: was great. Uh, I don't know. I think Dame's a fantastic MC. I don't like him rapping with other people. That's me personally,
0: but... That's kind of how I feel about the, the new Chance the Rapper mixtape. I, I, I like Chance, but every other track has got guest appearances that i just could care less about and i think ruins the overall just flow of the album so everyone's talking about how it's like such a great album <clears throat> i'm like yeah when chances on it it's really good but i don't want to hear lil wayne i don't want to hear justin bieber i don't want to hear that bullshit mm-hmm. uh that's that's i don't buy an album or listen to an album because oh, all these guests are if I like you as an artist, I want to hear just, I want to hear you. Like, maybe one or two guest appearances. Like a podcast or something. Yeah, that that's cool, but, you know, I don't need 80% of the album guest appearances.
1: Yeah, like, that's how I feel about Dame's stuff. Like, I like you. Your, your homies are like John Connor's homies. They're whack. They're whack to me. I, if I'm trying to hear a Dame Dollar song, I kind of just want to hear you. I think that's why
0: I think that's why "Bigger Than Us" is such a great song because it's just him and he's got somebody else doing the hook. Yeah, it's just Dame rapping.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't really I don't like the people that are in his camp. I think his beats are fantastic, but I don't want to hear some random dude on a track. Like, I don't like I think dame as like hip-hop craftsman I don't want to hear like some squeegee men rappers on the track with them that's just me personally and uh yeah Dame if you want to talk about it we can talk about it on here
0: I think I think we're about ready to wrap it up it's a little after 11 o'clock on, on a Tuesday night and it was great to get back at it I can't wait to podcast again uh, have a safe trip my friend driving all the way from the you know the right coast to the left coast and uh you know stay safe but for us this will be our probably our, our last episode until free agency uh maybe we'll do something in the draft maybe not i'm still going to be excited to watch it you can catch that next thursday uh, i believe the date is the 23rd on espn at 4:30. so if you can get out of work early do so i know i will be working from home in that afternoon so i can watch the draft i got caught in traffic last year driving home from work so i missed like the first four or five picks which was a big time bummer but that's not going to happen again uh if you like the podcast uh, definitely subscribe to it on itunes give us that five star rating if you like what you hear uh if you're not into itunes we're also on stitcher and soundcloud at holy backboard pdx uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Holy Backboard, and if you feel the need to send us an email, go ahead. <laughs> we're uh, available at holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. Uh, Sage, thanks again for producing this podcast. Whew, it's been fun. Like yeah, I'm, ready, I'm ready for basketball season to start right now.
1: It's been a minute. Like I miss you. We, we. I mean, we obviously talk on like via text every day, but like actually being able to see you is different than just, like, texting, like, you know, Jimmy Butler's... When you you said,
0: when you said I missed you, I thought about that scene in Superbad at the very beginning. I was like, well, what are you and Evan gonna do uh, while you're away at college? Are you you gonna miss each other? No, we're not gonna, we don't miss each other, but deep down inside, they were like, yeah, I'm gonna miss the shit out of you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, we still talk, people. We're not, like, totally avoiding each other, but...
0: It's, different. it's not the same as seeing your face through Skype, buddy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right.
0: I don't think there's any better way to wrap that <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yo, we're, we're kind of rusty. It's been like three weeks.
0: All right, Rip City.
1: Peace out, everybody. Let's go! Let's go. Come on, everybody,